I do appreciate uh, Brother Mason giving me the opportunity to preach tonight. I, I think he has a reason behind it. He knows that if he has me preach every so often, it'll make you appreciate even more his preaching. But uh, so, but I do appreciate the opportunity uh, anyway, and I'd, I'm looking forward to, I love these, both of these parallel stories. Uh, if I was to have a title for my sermon tonight, it would be called The Road to Deliverance or uh, From Hurting to Healing, one of those two. Uh, and we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture, the first one in John chapter uh, number 4, and you will see those, uh, they will be up there up here on the screen as well. John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 54, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, and then we'll be turning over to another passage. Familiar passage of Scripture, it says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The noble man saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Then turn over to Matthew, our second passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, and we'll be looking verses 21 through 28. Uh, this is the story of the Canaanite woman's daughter, and it says in verse 21, and this will be on the screen as well, you can follow along. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy, thou son of David, my daughter, is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am, uh, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Both of these passages of Scripture have some very similarities in them. And if I was to title it, as I mentioned, it would be from uh, hurting to healing. Five steps that take you from the hurting or the burden they had in their life to the deliverance of that burden or to the healing. We're going to get into those five steps tonight. And let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Dear Lord, I thank you for... Uh, this opportunity to preach tonight. I thank you for your word. 
I thank you for each individual that's here tonight and the time that they took to come to church to learn more about you and to fellowship together. I thank you for the great day you've already given to us. Uh, speak through me and use me tonight. In your name I pray, amen. We find, first of all, in this passage, the, both of these passages of Scripture, both of these individuals, the nobleman and the Canaanite mother, she, both of them had, number one, if you look on the screen there, they both had a desperate need. They both had a desperate need. John 4.49 says, The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, my child, yet my child die. That's a pretty desperate need. Then in Matthew 15.22 it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried, Unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. I've had a lot of desperate situations in my life, uh, what I would call desperate situations, like when I went to get some Tillamook ice cream and they didn't have the mudslide there that I wanted. That was a pretty desperate situation. I had to go to several stores to find it. That's not really considered a desperate situation, although for me and our family, we love ice cream. Uh, but there was, there was a desperate situation when I was a young boy, about eight years old. I desperately wanted to get a BMX bike. It was a Huffy uh, XL250. It had, it had the coolest thing. It had a handbrake on each side. I mean, it, you were really something if you had dual handbrakes. And uh, it had the little padding across the top and on the frame there. And I remember how desperately I wanted to have that BMX Huffy XL250. I mean, I had to have that BMX XL250. I didn't care what it took. I wanted that bike. And I remember begging my dad over and over and over and over again that I wanted to get that BMX XL250. And I remember finally I continued to just beg my dad, Dad, I got to have this. I got to have this. And finally he got tired of listening to me and he said, okay, let's go. So we went down there and Went to the store, and I'm thinking to myself, and this is cruel and unusual punishment, but I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome. I'm getting my BMX XL 250, though my dad had told me many times, Andy, I don't want to hear another word about it. If you get it, you're going to have to earn it. But finally, after begging him enough, he said, well, let's go. So we go to the store, and I remember still this day, we go into Kmart, and we go to the back of Kmart, and there it was, the BMX Huffy XL 250. And I got that bike down. It, was, it had black and like a, like a gold color on the, on, the, um, on the top of it. I remember I got that thing, and I mean, I am, live, I am just like, I'm pumped about this thing. I wheel it to the front of the store and get up to there, there, there to the register and uh, put it up there, and the lady rings it up. I think it was like $97.50 or something like that. And uh, it'll be $97.50. And I remember uh, just standing there, and uh, she said to me again, that'll be $97.50. And uh, I kind of finally, after a second or two, nothing was happening. My dad was just kind of standing there looking at the newspaper. And, and I said, Dad, it's ninety-seven fifty. And uh, the lady said, uh, it's ninety-seven fifty. And he said, well, give her the ninety-seven fifty. And I said, but, no, I mean, you, you told me let's go. And he said, I said, let's go, but I'm not buying it. I mean, I thought you had the money. And uh, my dad taught me a lesson that day. Uh, earn it if you want it. And uh, I remember taking, literally taking that bike and having to set it aside. And uh, I left it there until like six months later, I finally had the money to go buy it. But I desperately wanted that bike. All these different things, uh, I remember the first time I saw uh, my wife. 
and I desperately wanted to have a date with her. And uh, we were having a lunch today with the Wrights today at our house. We told a little bit of our story about how my wife and I got together. And uh, it, was, it was cruel and un- unusual punishment her dad put me through to get her to, to allow her to, me to date her. But I remember finally, after a long time, I was able to date my wife. And I was desperate to have a date with her. But nothing is as desperate as when you have a situation like both of these parents where their child is in a desperate situation. He comes to God and he says, he comes to Jesus and he says, my child is going to die. That's pretty desperate. I was reading a book recently and uh, it's called All the Valiant Men. And uh, I think I have a picture of this man uh, here on the screen, if you have that. This man, uh, Donald Stratton, he was born in 1922 Uh, in Red Cloud, Nebraska, during the Great Depression. He went through some horrendous times as growing up as a young boy. But he finally, in 1940, enlisted in the United States Navy, and he reported for duty to the battleship, the USS Arizona. And this story, uh, he's the only survivor of the USS Arizona that wrote a memoir about what happened. And he writes, at the time of this writing, there were five survivors left from the USS Arizona from the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And now there are only three. Two of them recently passed away in September. I was reading this book, and just a fascinating book about Donald Stratton and his experience. Donald Stratton was on the USS Arizona. One of his jobs was he was uh, atop, he manned an anti-aircraft gun, and he talks about how, how on the night of December 6th, he would often, because the quarters inside the ship were so crammed and packed with men, he had a little hammock that occasionally he would string out by his anti-aircraft gun, and he would lay up on that hammock at night, and he would sleep there instead of down in the, in the quarters. He talks about how on the night of December 6th, he laid down on that hammock, and he just looked up at the stars and saw what a beautiful night it was. Uh, He had been uh, dating a girl there on the island, and uh, he said just all seemed well. Christmas was coming, it was just not too far away, and everything seemed to be going great. So often is the case in our life. We are sitting here thinking, Maybe today you're saying, hey, everything's going great for me. I'm not in any of a kind of a desperate situation. But he recalls laying there that night in that hammock and thinking everything couldn't, nothing could be better. Until the very next morning he reports that on, at 8.06 on December 7th, uh, he was consumed by an inferno. A million pounds of explosives had detonated beneath his battalion station aboard the USS Arizona. Barely 15 minutes into Japan's surprise attack on the the American forces at Pearl Harbor. He was near death with about 65% of his body was completely burned. His clothes were on fire. He was on, he had gotten up to his uh, anti-aircraft station. And I think you have a picture of that if you'll forward that uh, Jim. He had gotten up to his anti-aircraft station. The circle there you'll see is where he was at. He had gotten, gotten up there, and he had four other men that were up there with him. And 
as the Arizona began to capsize, the entire bottom floor beneath them was just all in flames. Uh, the metal was literally starting to melt from the flames and the heat uh, from all the uh, explosives that had detonated and the bombs that were landing. And he talks about how he was there on that one uh, area there, and as the Arizona began to capsize, they realized that they were already in flames. There's other pictures I would not show tonight of his what he looked like that night. And he said the four of them desperately began to try to find any way they could to get off of that ship. As it was beginning to go under and the flames were all around them, the oil was bubbling, uh, bullets were being com- coming down from the, uh, the planes as they were going overhead. And he talks about how he and his three other men were trying to find any way they could to get off of that ship. They were in what you would call a desperate situation. Mr. Stratton said that at a, at the, when, they, when they came to the point where they felt like they were completely, all hope was lost, there was just a little bit of a clearing in the, the, the smoke. And there was a man that they could see motioning to them from what was called the Vestal. That was the ship that was pulled up right next to and anchored there at Pearl Harbor next to the Arizona It was a repair ship that would help do different maintenance and things on ships. It was parked directly next to the Arizona. On top of the, now as the Arizona began to to capsize, there was a man there. His name was Lieutenant Commander Joe George. He was standing on the vessel as the Arizona began to come down. Their mast there was, was parallel with the vessel. This Lieutenant George looked over and he saw these four men standing on top of that anti-aircraft mechanism there, basically consumed by this inferno. He began motioning to them as he had what was called a monkey's wrench in his hand. This monkey's wrench was a, a ball of lightweight cord that was attached to a ball of steel. And he was trying to motion to them. He was going to try to throw that ball of, of that coil from the vessel over to where they were at on top of the Arizona. They, again, of course, as they saw him, were, were screaming, began to scream and yell to him. And he attempted the first time to throw that across and couldn't make it. He reeled it back in and threw it again the second time, and it failed again. The third time he threw it, he finally got it up to where they were at, and they were able to anchor it around uh, the the little landing they were on. And one by one, as they, that coil stretched now from the Vestal over to the Arizona, they looked over at what they were about to do, which was fire coming up from the bottom. Their hands and literally their skin was beginning to peel off of them. They began to try to go hand over hand on that cord across from their ship, the Vestal, I mean the Arizona, over to the Vestal. As they did, their skin was coming through where there was just bone on the metal as they were trying to cross. Why? Because they were desperate to get away. Finally, all four of those men made it across to the Vestal. And they were rescued by rescue boats and taken to a hospital where they began to be treated for severe burns over their entire body. 
I've never been in that situation. I've never been in a time where fire was coming up and I was consumed and knew that I was just moments from death. But all of us here in this room at some time in our life have been in a desperate situation. It might be that you're here tonight and you say, I'm in a desperate situation. I, I got news from the doctor that it doesn't look good. I'm in a desperate situation. I got letters from a family member that we're at odds and it doesn't look good. Uh, my marriage is falling apart. I'm in a desperate situation. My child has left me, ran away from home, and has nothing to do with me. I'm in, nothing to do with me, and I'm in a desperate situation. Do you know on December 6th, he wasn't in, Mr. Stratton was not in a desperate situation. Some of us can be going through a calm time in our life and we think, hey, I got it made. Don't run to Jesus until you're in a desperate situation. Run to him now. Run to him on December 6th, not on December 7th. Uh, it's easy for us sometimes to just feel like, hey, man, we're in a great church and my job's doing well and my family's doing great and well, I really don't need to. I'm not really that desperate for God. It's pretty interesting. This Mr. Stratton, he was treated for over a year at the medical hospital. And if you'll forward to that next slide there, Jim. Uh, next one, that's another picture of where he was at. This is he and his wife. Uh, they've been married now for 66 years. He went through that desperate situation, was treated for a year, and after a year of treatment, he went back and fought again in World War II. Uh, it was an incredible story. But it didn't end there, his desperate situation. That alone would be amazing, but if you read farther into his book, you'll find that they had three children that all passed away throughout their marriage. The loss of three kids as they were just young children passed away. That's, that's a desperate situation. This, these two examples here in the Bible, of these, the nobleman's son and the Canaanite woman's daughter, how did they go from hurting to healing? Number one, they realized they were in a desperate need. Number two, you'll find they were given direction. They were given direction. Someone told the nobleman, about God being about Jesus coming to Galilee. Look in John four forty seven. It says, "When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea unto Galilee, he went unto him." Who told him? Probably someone that had been at uh, the wedding where God had turned the water into wine had told him. But someone came and said, "Hey, there's a man. There's this man. His name's Jesus. Who can heal your son? You might want to get to him." Someone came and told him about Jesus. It made me think about pastor's message this morning. Who are we telling about Jesus? Who's the, are you being a Joe George to someone around you? Are you screaming and, and holding up your hands saying, hey, hey, there's a way to make it out of this. I can find a way out for you. Just All you have to do is just, follow after Christ. You know, so many many can be a a difficult, uh, intimidating thing sometimes, but there's also a lot of blessings in it. Uh, I was out two weeks ago at Faith Share, so winning with with Brother Caleb Gregory. And uh, Caleb Gregory and 
uh, were out, and Caleb, rem- I'm sure, remembers this. We, we went to a house, knocked on a door, and a lady came up, and she began to talk to us, and we, uh, I eventually asked her uh, if she knew for sure if she were to die today, if she'd, where she'd spend eternity. And she cut us right off, and she began telling us about how she had a secret potion that would cure all remedies. Remember that, Caleb? And she said, I have a potion that I created. It's only I have created this potion. And it will heal anything that's wrong with you. It'll heal cancer. It'll heal, it'll heal, it'll, it'll heal no matter any, any illness you have, it'll heal you. She said, I even have thank you letters from people proving me right, that this, this, this really does cure you from, from anything. And she came to Caleb and I, and she showed us these letters. Right? Am I telling the truth? And so next thing I know, I turn around, and Caleb's over there by the garage just smoking away, man. He's, and he's just using this, this cure that she gave him. I'm just kidding about that part. But um, it was very, it was interesting. And she said, I have the cure all. And when she got done, I, I said, you know, I, I understand your potion you came up with, but there is one great physician who can cure anything, including can tell you how you can know for sure you go to heaven. But all of us have the responsibility to go out and tell others about Christ. All of us have the responsibility to go in and wave our arms and say, hey, there's a way. Jesus is the answer. They were given direction. Number three, not only did they have a desperate need and were they given direction, but they decided to get started. They decided to get started. From the journey from uh, Cana of Galilee to Capernaum is about 18 miles. And he didn't have a, uh, a, a nice Dodge Charger to make that journey in. About 18 miles he had to go to get to Jesus. He had to decide, I'm going to go to where Jesus is at. All of us have to decide we're going to get started. It's easy. All of us have this mentality, I know I do, of being a procrastinator. Uh, maybe it's the, the leaky faucet. Uh, I'll get to that, honey, uh, next week. Around, or the, I'll get around to it. And, uh, or maybe it's, I'm going to get the spring cleaning done. And now you went through summer and you still haven't done the spring cleaning. And now we're in the fall and you still haven't done the spring cleaning. And winter's coming. And hey, might as well just put it off. And next spring, it will be spring cleaning. So just go with it. But all of us tend to procrastinate. But, you know, they didn't procrastinate. They decided, I'm going to get started. I'm going to go to Jesus. I don't know what it is tonight, but there's, there's all kinds of things in our life that we can say, I'm going to get started with. Maybe it's, I'm going to get started having a better walk with God. I'm going to get started reading my Bible every day. Uh, I'm going to get started having a better prayer life. I'm going to get started telling others about Christ. I'm going to get started tithing. I'm going to get started giving to missions. I'm going to get started, you fill, fill it in being a servant. I'm going to get started coming to connect group on Sunday mornings, or I'm going to get started coming to church on Thursday evenings. Whatever the case might be, decide I'm going to get started. They decided to get started. Next, not only did they have a desperate need and they were given direction and they decided to get started, but they were determined to get God's help. The Canaanite woman tells her problem to God and he answers her not one word when she first asked him. She asked him again about her daughter, Matthew 15, 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, and I love this, these three words here, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. 
The first time she asked him, he didn't answer her a word. She comes back to him again, Lord, help me. And again, he then begins to give her, uh, he begins to say a few things to her, and she comes back and almost a third time asks him again, and then her daughter is healed. She didn't quit. It's easy sometimes for us to say, I'm going I'm to get started in this particular thing, and we get going, we, we, go, we, we read our Bible a few times, and then we kind of, we forget a day, and so, well, I, uh, maybe next week I'll get back to it. There's teenagers here tonight that several of you made decisions, and you made decisions at camp that I'm going to read my Bible every day of the year. And maybe you're sitting here tonight, and I, I'll be thrilled. I hope that there's some of you that say, hey, Brother Andy, I've kept that decision. I have read my Bible every day since I made that pledge at camp. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you say, I didn't finish. I've, I've already, well, I, I messed up and I missed a few days. I've just kind of given up. Decide to get started today. It's not going to be easy. It's, it might be difficult. It might be that you say, I've been praying about a certain situation and God just hasn't answered my prayer don't give up, just keep on going. It's not going to be easy, just keep on going after, after what you're seeking for. The last thing I put here is, not only did they have a desperate need and were they given direction, they got, decided to get started, they were determined to get God's help. But then in Matthew 15, 28, Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, Great is thy fault, be it unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Then in John four fifty and 51, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. So the father knew that it was at the same hour and the same time which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. God delivered them and healed his son and her daughter. Was it easy? 18 miles he had to go to get to Jesus. Would have it ever happened had he not gotten started? No. Did he have to keep on going? I'm sure on that journey of 18 miles there were times that he thought, man, I just... Man, that's a long ways. Interesting in this story about uh, the man I showed you earlier, Mr. Stratton. For a year, he was treated with the burns on his body. There were chemicals and different things, of course, back then. Back in, uh, there was, medicine was not what it is today. And many of those things were just trial and error that they would try on the sailors that had these uh, third-degree burns. But one of the things I remember him talking about, and I'll try not to be too, uh, is that they would, take, uh, they would take maggots and they would put them on their body to eat the bad bacteria and the bad flesh that was decaying. And I remember that he would, in that book, he would tell about how he, he, would, it was, he was in so much pain and how that felt. But one thing that kept him going was, I'm going to fight again. I'm going to fight again. I'm going to go after the men that killed my buddies. You know, there's going to be times that you might say, man, I just don't feel like fighting anymore. I just don't feel like 
going soul winning today. It's too cold. It's too rainy. It's too hot. I have other things to do. But we're going to just keep on going and fighting the devil today. There's going to be difficult times, yes. There's going to be times where you say, I just don't feel like making it. There's going to be times where you say, God, you're just not hearing my prayer. What's going on? I've, I've asked and asked and asked and asked, and you haven't answered me yet. Just keep on asking. And you'll find at the end of this, both of these stories, God answers their prayer. What are you desperate for tonight? A closer relationship with God? A better, more fervent desire to see others come to Christ? A better marriage? Uh, a more faithful to church? Whatever it is, Jesus is the answer. He can deliver you. All you have to do is realize your need. Decide, hey, someone needs the gospel. I'm going to get started today. I'm going to keep going no matter what the circumstances. And God will always come through. Let's pray.